Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Pooler. My guest today is Alicia Purdy. And Alicia is going, as she's the uh, Republican candidate for mayor in the city of Albany, and she's here to talk about the demonstrations recently, uh, the police and the mayor's reaction to what's going on. So, Alicia, are you having a good time? I am having a good time, Cynthia. Thanks for having me today. I am very su- equal parts surprised and not surprised about sort of the reaction in the city of Albany about um, not just running for mayor, but mayors in general, city elections and, and problems that we face in Albany. Um, still, I, I encounter a lot, a sense of hopelessness from people that, things will never change. And in a way, it's, it's exciting, actually, to be able to be somebody who shows them, actually, it can, and you can be part of that. So that kind of stuff energizes me. So when you first decided to run for mayor, it was like, it's such a learning experience, wouldn't you say? Yes, it has been a learning experience. And I grew up being politically and civically engaged. But one of the things I've learned uh, more than ever before is really that money does talk when it comes to politics. And I think that's a really sad. I mean, money certainly is needed to get your your name out there and, you know, buy campaign materials and billboards and that sort of thing. But um, there's a lot more that money goes toward. And some of it is is what I think prevents a lot of, quote, unquote, the little guy, maybe doing something they might have aspirations to do in the political arena. So I hope that my campaign is something that can show people um, when all is said and done that the individual person, if that's a dream they have for themselves, that it, it really is within reach. It is. That's, that's a hope uh, that I have as a byproduct of my campaign. That's great. So there's been a lot of stuff going on in the city of Albany with demonstrations, you know, the police department and the mayor's reaction. Um, From your perspective, kind of talk about what you think and what you've seen. So I was down there on the very first day. So um, that's the parade day. So a few days before on a Wednesday, um, the, you know, there were some, some protests that got out of hand and it, it turned into a riot and it had to be quelled um, by the Albany police. So that was on a Wednesday. And on the following Saturday, I was there at Townsend Park and I walked um, and observed and filmed the Black Lives Matter parade as a neutral observer. I stayed with the press while I was walking um, because I really believe that a mayor should have some kind of personal understanding of what's going on in her own city and not just the Black Lives Matter thing. Um, in as much as a, a human being can, or even a representative or a delegate, be be very aware of what's going on. And, and that's definitely something that keeps coming up, is that she, people see the mayor as, as the queen rather than as, you know, a mayor. And so it was, it was a difficult time um, being down there. And, you know, after that day on that Saturday, it became a full-blown occupation of the city of Albany, which is an unacceptable condition. And yet for six days, the people down in the, down in the south end surrounding Arch Street were tormented. People who work there, the Board of Elections, for example, or we saw terrible video of, of Perry Jones, the CEO of the Capital City Rescue Mission, tormented and mocked and reviled 
by by these protesters, and it was it was disheartening, um, as well as infuriating. Where was the mayor? Where was the police chief? Um, mm-hmm. There are a lot of questions that I believe demand answers, but will we get answers? I'm guessing we will not. Okay, you know I've been trying to assess this whole situation, and. You know, the uh, Shelvin trial and George Floyd's murder, I think it's terrible. Um, do you think that the, the protesting that was done in the city of Albany was warranted? Um, the type of protest that was warrant, that was um, conducted down there, absolutely not, under the Constitution, Every American is granted the right to peaceful assembly and to petition their government. That's important. Those are important pieces of language, um, but they're open-ended enough that the Supreme Court has had to come in and, and clarify and hone some of that language over the years. And some of some of what did happen is constitutionally um, via the Supreme Court protected speech. Now, what is not, I will tell you. And then certainly they leave a lot up to the states and the city ordinances. And there are ordinances in the city of Albany against profanity for example we actually do have ordinances on the books that that show that that type of speech in a public um, place is not acceptable now was it warranted the response first of all i have to tell you i don't believe for one second the response of these protesters really had anything to do with police brutality i don't believe it had anything to do with protecting black lives and and honoring black lives and preserving um, or supporting black lives not for one second i don't believe that at all I believe that it was an anarchist Marxist um, movement through the Black Lives Matter machine that has been a sleeper cell for a really long time and finally had the had gotten big enough to come out. I believe that there were some some kids, maybe some people who are um, ignorant as to what Black Lives Matter movement really stands for that really did maybe were did want to protest and share their you know collective rage and dismay about um, the Chauvin trial, but. I, if I had to put a percentage on it, I would say 2% out of all the people that were there um, had maybe a genuine agenda to just, you know, petition the government, air their grievances. Um, these were people, most of them were not even from the city of Albany, and they did not come down to exercise a constitutional right. They came down to use rage, fear, and violence um, rooted in anarchy which is a, a violent overthrow of the government and into a lawless society to, I think this was the tip of the iceberg, to prove a point and to push Albany. To, I think this was a testing of the waters to see how far they can go with this mayor. Um, and audio came out through one of the protesters that, that implied that they had the approval or at least the turning, you know, looking the other way of the mayor and the police chief. Now that was one person's, story but that was what was said on this audio was that um, the mayor and the police chief were aware the entire time of what was going on and um, this is this is a major problem because I believe this is the tip of the iceberg if something doesn't change immediately in um, the Albany uh, City Hall so you know you, you just just talked about the mayor how do you describe to our audience what you how you believe the mayor uh, reacted to this, you know, this whole affair, whether it was right, wrong, and different. Share your views. 
So my views for the mayor, I'm sure she's, I've never met her. I'm sure she's a lovely person in a hoot at parties. However, just looking at her governance of the city of Albany, um, her response, at first I thought, where is this laissez-faire, let them eat cake mayor? Where is the Marie Antoinette of Albany? Where is this lady? Um, And I started to think, is she that out of touch? These were the thoughts initially that I was thinking. As the situation unfolded and a new audio came out implying that she was potentially aware of what was going on the entire time, um, as well as the police chief, then I began to get a clearer picture of why nothing was being done. Uh, Mayor Sheehan came out after those initial Wednesday night protests um, after the fact, and she said something very telling, and of course, you'll never hear it reported on, where she said, we are a city of protesters, and we invite protest. I thought that was an odious statement that invited trouble, but it was, it was again, I thought initially it was ignorance. I actually gave her the benefit of the doubt that she was, you know, not much more than an out-of-touch ignoramus, but that's not true. Turns out she's extremely in touch with what's going on, and these movements have her stamp of approval. I think that is a gross dishonor to the people of Albany. I think is a shame to her administration that she um, facilitates lawlessness and that I really think that she is a closet Marxist. That's what I think at the end of the day, that her actions speak louder than her words. But her words, if you dissect them, they were there. We are a city of protesters, and look what she's turned us into. That, that's pretty strong. That, that's a pretty strong statement. Um, what about uh, Chief Hawkins? Uh, again, I've never met Chief Hawkins, and I don't have any sense of who he is as a human being, although I've certainly heard plenty from other people. But I like to reserve judgment um, on a person's character based on my knowledge of them, but certainly you can make you can make presumptions based on how they behave in the public square. And how he behaved in the public square was he wasn't there. And what he thinks, well, guess what? What he didn't say speaks volumes. He was not, uh, he did come out after the, the Wednesday riots, the initial riots, and say, you know, the use, they talked about the this pepper spray and that sort of thing. And he did say that it was <clears throat> warranted and, but that's it. Other than that, we it's been crickets for a while. Now, he um, issued a letter later uh, earlier this week saying that um, the way that he worded it, I have to tell you, Cynthia, I took umbrage with the way that he worded it because the way that it was worded, and I don't believe for one second, not for one second, that it wasn't intentionally worded. These are people that live for the PR. And so I know, especially because I'm a journalist, I completely read between the lines of his language. And the language said that the Albany Police Department, which we all associate with the you know, boots on the ground police officers, everybody associates that, the Albany Police Department um, held off because they believe in the right you know, to protest and they wanted to, they wanted to uh, you know, let people have that Space. Well, first of all, most of what happened down there was in direct violation of city ordinances, which he has sworn to uphold um, in the city of Albany, but he's not from Albany, so maybe he didn't even read them. I don't know. Um, and his language was, in my opinion, incredibly telling that he was trying to distance himself from direct responsibility 
um, if you saw these videos, and, and which many of us did, the way that these men and women were treated, and some of them were even black, and they were the protesters, specifically uh, one protester who works for um, the, the Alice Green Center for Law and Justice, her name was Amy Jones. She, I watched this morning. She was saying filthy, vile, sexual things to black women officers who were standing there, um, accusing them of you know, selling out to the white man, accusing them um, of being slapped around by their brothers so they, they showed up and became officers so they could bust heads of other black men. It, it was ridiculous. It was, it was ridiculous, and it would be laughable if I didn't think it was actually part of a larger, uh, more organized effort to take down and defund the Albany Police Department. And it's a shame to think that um, Chief Eric Hawkins was silent on the matter, and then when he did say it was a softball, lobbing it over to the, into the laps of the Albany Police Department. And, uh, yeah, I do take a really hard line with it because this is my city. These are residents and taxpayers, and my language is strong because somebody has to stand up and speak strongly and say, the line is here, it's unacceptable, and as the leaders, you better step up and do something about it or you're out. So who do you think is behind this whole thing? Um, well, there is – so I – I won't get to answer that in two parts. The first is we know that, black, we know that the Black Lives Matter um, larger organization is – this is not Black Lives Matter, the phrase, the statement, or the sentiment. This was Black Lives Matter, the organization. They are an unapologetically Marxist society of people who are um, very much bent on overturning – the way that society operates in favor of an anarchist state of lawlessness. But here's the problem with, with anarchy and socialism and, and people who want this, what they call like, you know, an even playing field or equity or whatever that is. The problem is this. They're not actually looking for true justice or equity. They're looking for a reverse balance of power. Now, should we have equality? Should we, should we continue to wrestle with our problems and our, our prejudice? Of course. Should we strip it bare? Absolutely not, because what's going to happen is they don't, they're not seeking um, the equality. Like I said, they're seeking an overthrow and an overturn and then to seize that power. And these are, not, these are not words of mine just being strong because I'm filled with strong opinions. These are – the Black Lives Matter movement has been exceedingly clear, documented, that they are, especially the leaders, they are open and unapologetic Marxists and – if you've read any of the, the teachings, which I have, studied any of their pamphlets, which I have, um, you would see that what happened in Albany was a play-by-play, -play, a play-by-play -play strategy right out of the playbook. So do you think that this sort of behavior is going to escalate during the summer? Absolutely, I do. Um, given the audio that has come out where this um, paid protester had shouted that she felt betrayed by the mayor and she felt betrayed by um, Eric Hawkins um, because they, she said they had promised her that they could stay down there. That's very dangerous language if it's true, because if there was some sort of approval of any, on any level from the mayor's office and from the police chief, then that's the secret signal. That's the hand signal. They know they can keep going. And like I said, I don't believe for one second 
that this was an isolated incident. I absolutely believe there will be more. And if the mayor and the police chief don't draw a very hard line and defend not only the Constitution in the larger sense, but even the, even the city ordinances um, that protects the residents, that we are going to have a chaos on our hands over the summer. Uh, mark my words. Write it down somewhere. Sign it and date it. Yes, this will be worse especially under this mayor, because it's, it's not a softball thing. It's not. I really believe that they believe in the effort that's happening. So what's going on in the city of Albany? If it does escalate, do you think that's going to be a game changer for politics in Albany? Oh, I hope so. Um, in fact, I hope that this is what writes my victory speech in November because I can tell you it's already writing my debate for the day that I will be facing presumably uh, Mayor Kathy Sheehan. Um, you can't make this stuff up. This is, this is gold. She is um, – now, I will say, I, I don't know how entrenched, I don't know how corrupt, I don't, I don't have any of the answers of the depths to which um, people will go, you know, to cheat or win an election. I'm, I'm just an everyday person, and certainly I think we're all aware that cheating in elections is not above – well, anybody, people do it. People cheat all the time, even even people who, you know, are maybe otherwise very nice people. So I don't know how that will turn out. I will tell you that if it doesn't affect the outcome of this election and the mayor doesn't lose and lose hard, it will be very, very telling about what the future in Albany will look like once she becomes emboldened by understanding that she's unstoppable. Somebody has got to stop the woman. I'm here to stand up. And, um, you know, the kind of support that I'll need to make that happen is monumental. And I hope there are people who are ready to be done and then put their money where their mouth is and say, yeah, we actually are done and we're willing to fight. Well, I just stepped into the front line, but I need an army behind me. More than just people saying it, I really need, I really need the doing. You know, you and I have discussed before that, that Albany has been – a one-party system for a, de- uh, a century now. Um, as you go around and you talk to people, are people willing to pull the lever for another party? Do you get an indication that people are ready to do that? Uh, yeah, I have more than an indication for sure. But there are a lot of unhappy Democrats in Albany now getting them here's here's the challenge will they just not vote at all which is just as bad as voting for Kathy Sheehan or will they just you know hold their nose and vote for her because they're they're afraid that I'm gonna you know put a confederate flag up in city hall which will not happen um but the problem really the the biggest problem I think of of all of this is there's an definitely entrenched mindset but it's not that it really is fear Cynthia so many people that I talk to um, especially if they have any kind of thing to lose in Albany. Maybe they own a business or they own some property or something. Um, they don't want their names known. They don't want any – now, that's not to say they're not supporting or they're not, you know, they're not supporting financially or helping the campaign. They don't want their names known because they are way too afraid of the level of loss. I mean, Albany police, look at, look at Albany police. No one's going to snap their picture with me. They could, they might keep their job, but they'll live in hell until 
they get their pension and, and sign off. And so I don't, I don't want that for anybody. And I completely understand that in terms of voting, um, the real thing is it's not even who's going to vote or not vote. It's getting them to know my name that Albany actually has a choice because people aren't picking up when I say people, I mean, you know, local liberal media, they're not picking up things about me, even though they're constantly sent information about me um, for the specific reason that, just by not covering me or, or showing things that I'm doing or, or you know what, they're also, like, let's look at Valerie or even Greg Idala. Mm-hmm. Nobody's hearing anything about them. No one's hearing anything about them either. And, and those things matter. What we should have ideally would be media that says, yeah, let's, let's stir the pot. Let's make these candidates work for our vote. Let's stand them up against each other and say, what do you think about the Black Lives Matter protests and what will you do? I would love something like that. I'd love something once a month, a town hall where we are forced to earn the vote of the constituents of Albany and people hear our names and they can make up their own minds. What's happening is that um, by being snuffed out by the media, they are actually removing um, people's ability to choose. And that makes the candidates work that much harder, but it also it removes from people the um, that town that old timey town hall you know sense where people could come together and hear for themselves, look somebody in the eye, shake their hand, um, whatever that might be. That really is part of the political process and should be. You should get to know your candidates. So the, by the media snuffing that out, I think that's a huge problem. When you talk about the media, you're talking to me, and I try my best to to get every voice heard. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I'm talking really mainstream media. I mean, I I won't even throw any names out there just so I can be classy. Um, But I think we all know, generally speaking, who I'm talking about. No, certainly certainly not you. And there are people, um, you know, Talk 1300 does a good job and you do a good job. But look at at the the uneven balance of how many, you know, quote-unquote, they have versus how many, quote-unquote, we have. And then you add into the mix the fear of supporting, vocally coming out and supporting a candidate. Yeah, we support Alicia Purdy, the Republican candidate for mayor. Hey, we want everybody to know her name. We're going to put her on the air. We're going to have an interview. We're going to, I'm going to set up a fundraiser for you. I'm going to have you here, and we're going to take pictures, and we're going to, I'll pay for you to have a commercial, Alicia. I'm going to put you up on a billboard. People aren't doing it because they're too afraid of the repercussions, and um, it's certainly not certainly not programs like these, but you know, really, the largest audiences where people are, you know, they might read the Times Union just because they have it, or it's been here a long time, or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't begrudge that, but you're not going to get um, an even-handed approach to politics in the city of Albany because they have their agenda and they have their favorites. And even though I'm a journalist and I loathe and despise that, I do accept that that is the reality. When you say town hall, uh, be a little more specific that you'd like to see ta- uh, town halls. So pretend, pretend for a minute with me that we're not in the season of COVID. Let's just pretend COVID never happened yeah. or it went away. And what I'm talking about a town hall is where candidates all come together, put us, put us in folding chairs on a stage. And, and have it in a, in a great, large, neutral location, open it up to the public and say, um, you know, maybe somebody, a moderator walks around with their microphone, people submit their questions in writing, something like that. See, this question is for, you know, this, is, this question is for um, Greg Idala. Greg, how are you going to support, um, you know, 
issues in Albany. Alicia, what would you do about this issue? Um, so they can really hear from that. And, you know, the energy is there. The nerves are there. Um, I think that gently backing a candidate into a corner and hearing their real spin, because right now we're all spinning it from our Facebook pages. We're all spinning it from our websites. I can say whatever right. I want to on my videos, and so can Greg, and so can Valerie, and so can Kathy. We, this is the problem with one-sided PR that flows out of a campaign. We need the media, and like I said, a town hall. We need that coverage. Televise it. We need to have people who are um, demanding more of their candidates because social media, the real harm in social media has been it's a one-sided PR campaign, um, and the checks and balances just aren't there. And look, look what we have now. You have the polished pretty pictures of me where I always look perfect. And you have the polished pretty pictures of, you know, Kathy where she's got her hair done and Gregory's got a suit on and Valerie where she's got her sweater set. And we all look like we want to look and we all sound like what we want to sound like. I think that's actually, even though I'm using it, I'm going with it because it's what I have. I think it's dangerous. I think it's sad that that's what we have. And there isn't anyone demanding checks and balances and saying, oh, well, let me ask you a question that you're not going to smile about. Well, I embrace that. You know, you, you know my shows are broadcast on WCAA, and we have done we have done public forums with the candidates, but COVID is still a threat. You know, I see my podcast, my radio show. I see Zoom, even though it's not where people can go and see it. Um, I would say even if people there was no there was no pandemic, and there was a um, a forum, I say only a handful of people would show up, and then it would be recorded and and uh, recorded and put on social media anyway. So whether people can't do it right now, uh, I mean whether it can't, cannot be done right now. There's still an opportunity for people, for the candidates to go out there and get their voices heard. And I would be up to doing town halls with you guys. Yeah, well, I would love to put something like that um, together. And, you know, Zoom is, it's okay. It's the accepted alternative right now. And I did have, right. um, I've seen a couple Zooms through um, one night when they were talking about um, I was watching the common council meeting and they were actually talking about ATVs. And at one point in time, there were 450 people watching. I would consider that pretty successful. And if everybody shared it. Good. Good. So actually yeah. we have, we have like less than a minute left, Alicia. So tell everybody how they can get involved with your campaign volunteer Um uh, yes, I'm looking donate, for volunteers buddy. and donations, of course. Like I said, I've got really big visions for what's going to happen, but it does take money. So Alicia Purdy 4, that's the number 4, A-L-I-C-I-A-P-U-R-D-Y 4, M-A-Y-O-R, Alicia Purdy, uh, Purdy 4, mayor.com. Um, there's donations there. There's information there. And come find me on Facebook, Alicia Purdy 4, mayor. I'm very interactive. I respond to all my emails and messages. I'm always out talking. I'll set up an appointment. And um, let's let's make the campaign accelerate. We've got a lot of work to do. Okay, I'm sure you and I will be talking again. You have listened to Alicia Purdy, who's running for for mayor on the uh, Republican line. 
I'm Cynthia Pooler. This is Focus on Albany. If you if you like this page, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Thanks, Alicia. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Have Cynthia. a great day.